Good. Well, it's beginning to look. <laughs> I'll spare you the rest. Uh, but it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't egg me on. No, 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 don't do that. <clears throat> you regret it. Um, but it is Christmas time, isn't it? Yes, have you noticed? Ten days to go. Oh, my goodness. How many are you really, really ready? How many are really, really not ready? Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, at this time of year in church, we uh, can think of all sorts of things around the, uh, the birth of Jesus. We talk about lots of things, don't we? We talk about how Old Testament prophecy points to the coming of Jesus. Uh, in well-known passages that we might think of in Isaiah 7, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. Yeah, well-known passage. Uh, we could think of Micah, where it talks about Bethlehem. It says, you are small among the clans of Judah, but out of you will come one for me who will be a ruler over Israel, whose oranges, oranges, oranges? <laughs> this is going to be one of those mornings. Whose origins are before ancient of old. Yeah, so... I cannot believe I said that. Yes. And for those of you who know me, I'm not really into fruit. So it's a real, it's a real, where did that one come from? Yeah. We could talk about angelic visitations, couldn't we? Where angels appeared over and over again around that Christmas um, story, if you like. Appearing to Joseph a couple of times in dreams, appearing to Mary. Uh, to tell her that she's about to give birth to a son. And, uh, wow, that must have been a bit of a shock. Appeared to shepherds on a hillside. Appeared, well, who knows whether it was an angel or whether it was the Lord himself who, who spoke to Zachariah in that temple and talked about his wife, Elizabeth, going to have a baby. And we're not entirely sure in the dream that the wise men had but God spoke to them about not returning to their own country via Herod and letting him know what had happened and where this new baby was. But actually, there was an appearance to the wise men to get them to go on a different route home. So we could talk about angels. We could talk about shepherds who, having heard that message, were so encaptured with it, they wanted to go and see. Let us go and see for ourselves. And then having seen, they were so amazed by all they went and just told everybody what they'd seen we could talk about the wise men the magi or kings coming to worship him and bringing their gifts so there's loads of things we could talk about this morning but uh, there are certain things we can easily skip over have you ever and i i will confess this this morning um a little while ago i concluded uh, reading the book of revelation as part of my daily readings and um, I'd finished it, I think it was on the Monday, and on the Tuesday I thought, I think it's coming up to Christmas, and I'll just start to look at the accounts in the Gospels about the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. And so I thought, well, I'll start in Matthew chapter 1. Sounds like a good place to start, beginning of the New Testament. I'll turn to chapter 1. And I looked at chapter 1, and I looked at the first 17 verses, and I thought, we'll skip those, and go to verse 18. Because if you turn your Bible open, if you've got your Bible, you might want to do that. Um, you get all this list. 
And it's headed in the New International Version as the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. The genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And you just see all those names, don't you? And you think, well, I'll just skip this and I'll just move on to the good bit. But then I got to thinking a little bit as well about the words of the Apostle Paul, who writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, he says this, he says, All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and for training in righteousness. And the word there in the Greek, theo, here we go, theonoustos, it's the only place it's used. It's this sense of God breathing his word. All scripture, God breathed, is useful. So let's have a look at these first 17 verses with that in mind. Is that okay? Chapter, well, it's tough, isn't it? I'm going to do it anyway. Verse 1. So I'm going to read it. And it says, this is the genealogy. And if you look up the word genealogy, it's an account of the origin. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jerem, Jerem, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abihud. Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, and Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Woo! If I pronounce those wrong, tough. Um, but isn't it interesting... We get the whole of the Old Testament, and then scholars tell us it's like God is silent for 400 years, from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New. And the first thing God reveals to us at the beginning of what we now know as the New Testament, after 400 years of silence, is a whole list of names. Wow. If somebody hadn't spoken to you for quite a while and they just started talking to you again, you'd sort of take notice. 
would you be surprised if they just listed off a whole load of names? Why would God do that? In 17 verses, there are 40 names spanning 2,000 years of history and 42 generations. And when you look at those names, there are a whole mix of people. Um, and they're all associated with the lineage of Jesus, the backstory of Jesus. And I want us to think about that for a few minutes this morning because this whole mixture of people, God was so open to having them as part of the salvation story that Jesus, the Son of God, was coming to bring. How many of you know that Jesus came into the world for all people? All people. And in this ancestral line, there's all sorts of people. There's spies, there's foreigners, there's kings, there's poor people, there's rich people. There's prostitutes, military heroes. God is interested in all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life. You know, it doesn't matter what our background is, what our personal background or our family backstory is, God loves us. God is for us. And sometimes, you know, we might get in a little bit of a downward spiral in our thinking. Um, and we might think, well, my life is a bit of a mess. Nobody's really interested in me. Why would God be interested in me? I want to tell you that God does not think like that at all. His heart is for every single person. And the lineage of Jesus includes those whose society would overlook if you think about the time when this was written, 2,000 years ago, Middle East, if you were trying to impress people with your story and your backstory, as it were, you probably wouldn't, and this was culturally at the time, list ladies in that list. Different world today in most countries of the world. But back then, women would not have been listed, normally speaking. Yet through that list, you see five women that are mentioned, four directly, one indirectly. You've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, indirectly Bathsheba, as being the wife of Uriah, and Mary. Isn't it great that God chooses people that may naturally be overlooked? You don't have to be a superstar for God to be interested in you. You just have to be you. You don't have to put on an act. You know, and if we have a tendency to think that, you know, I'm always overlooked, or maybe you think no one ever picked me. How many of you are ever in the school sports where they're, where they're picking teams and, like, you were the last one that ever got picked? God doesn't work like that. Do you know, my Bible says, God chooses the things that are not. Huh? David, the youngest, who's on the list, the youngest son of Jesse was totally overlooked, naturally speaking, when they were looking for the next king of Israel. Until Samuel came along and said, I don't understand it. The next king of Israel is from your household and you've put all your sons in front of me and he's not here. What's going on? 
And Jesse says, oh, there is another one. One that was totally overlooked. And if you think that, well, my church stroke religious background doesn't cut it. I've not been a Christian very long. How could God possibly be interested in a purpose and a plan for my life? Well, when I look at that list, there are Jews and Gentiles, people who are non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles on that list. And back in the day, that was quite a significant thing. Again, culturally speaking, within the Jewish community, they would be thinking of the, the, the law of Moses in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3, where it says, No Ammonite, Moabite, or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. So not just that person, but down the generations for ten. <coughs> Excuse me. And yet, here in this list, we find people who are outside the Jewish community. I always find it interesting that over and over again, through Scripture, God chooses the most unlikely. The most naturally speaking, the one that most people would overlook. Even where Jesus was born, Bethlehem in Judea. John, John's uh, gospel tells us in chapter 1 that Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him whom, whom Moses in the Torah and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Not only born in, in Bethlehem, but where, did, where was he raised? He was raised in Nazareth. And this is the response that Nathanael gives. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. Come and see. Nazareth, the archaeologists tell us, was a very, very small little place. Probably had a maximum of 150 people living in it. And that's where Jesus grew up. Most insignificant. And maybe you think sometimes, well, I'm from a bit of an insignificant place. People laugh about Grimsby, don't they? I tell you what, they didn't laugh last year when Strictly Come Dancing was won by Kevin from Grimsby. I'm not doing a spoiler for last night. All right, hold, hold it, don't worry. Sorts, sorts of prophetic things about this area that God wants to do, not only here, but from here. How exciting. Some of you might think, well, David, you don't know where I was brought up. Maybe you might use the terminology, I was born on the wrong side of the tracks. God overlooks the tracks. He's not, he's not defined by the tracks as we would be. But David, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my history. I've done some bad stuff. I've made some mistakes. I've made some lousy life choices. When I look down that list, that lineage of Jesus, you could arguably call them, well, there's a group of saints, but there's a group of sinners in there as well. You think about some of the people on that list. You think of Tamar, the wife of one of Judah's sons, and her husband died before she had, uh, before she had a child. 
And so she conspired and tricked her father-in-law, Judah, to sleeping with her. Basically incest. And it was out of that encounter that Perez was born and he was on the list. Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who helped the spies in Jericho and assisted, I guess, the, 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 the thwarting of that city as the children of Israel were going into the promised land. But she married a guy called Salmon, who was the father of Boaz, who married Ruth. All part of the line. All part of the line. And you've got King David, of course. We've mentioned him already in verse 6 there. Who... The blessing and favor have gone on him, but he made the massive mistake, didn't he? With a guy called Uriah and Uriah's wife. Uriah's out on the battlefield. David's at home. He sees Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, and he says, I like the look of her. And as a result of what happened next, Solomon is conceived. And David, realizing what has happened, he ensures Uriah gets put into the heat of the battle and he gets ultimately killed. Wow, conspired the whole thing to try and get himself off the hook. God in his grace and mercy lists those 42 names of people that had serious moral failures who culturally, racially, and even because of their gender would naturally speaking not even get on the list. But he says, you're on my list. You're on my list. And it's part of God's supernatural plan of salvation. Here's the thing. Whatever your background, whatever your backstory, personally or your family, God sees way above that. Where you're from, whether you feel you were born the wrong side of the tracks or not, God says, my heart is for you. And I love you. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15. He says, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. That's one way to preach, isn't it? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst of sinners the worst of sinners aren't you glad that God works at that level and not on our merit I wonder if the musicians would come back when you look at that list what is interesting is there's a miracle at the beginning of that list and there's a miracle at the end Abraham listed at the beginning there and his wife Sarah have a son he's called Isaac when naturally speaking neither of them naturally should have been able to do this thing which I'm not going to go into the details of but she conceives and has a son he was a hundred and Sarah was 90. And God basically says to them, at that age, the promise is still on. And I don't care how old you are today, 
but the promises of God are still on. God says, the promise I gave you 25 years ago is still on today. And some of you may be carrying promises from God that you've not yet seen fulfilled. And you may think, like Abraham and Sarah could have naturally thought, because they'd mucked it up a little bit within those 25 years, they could have sensed that they missed their moment and missed the promise of God. But God in his grace and his mercy says no. And we see this supernatural miracle baby called Isaac. And it begins this lineage coming down the 42 generations until you get to the concluding miracle with Mary. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Jesus, the promised one, the miracle to our world, the gift of Christ. This season, this Christmas time we are in, we could think about a lot of things. But it's come across already this morning in things that have been said and prayers that have been prayed about the supernatural, miraculous sense that, that we should be enlivened to at this time of year. Next week at the carol service, we're going to be thinking about this a little bit more. We're going to be thinking about signs, wonders, and miracles. We're going to be open for everyone who's here next week just to sense and know the presence of God, that He is here, that He loves us. You know, I love, Matt, what you said earlier in that thought you brought about Elisha. And you said, for Elisha, the supernatural was just another day at the office. Shouldn't that be the same for us? The supernatural was just another day at the office. But I want to remind you today that whatever your background, whatever your family history, whatever your upbringing, whether your family has a history of faith in Jesus Christ or not, wherever you've come from, whatever sense of failure you may be carrying, God loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to live a sinless life and to be obedient to death on a cross, taking your pain and my pain upon His shoulders. That punishment that we deserve, He took. And if we will believe on Him, our life destiny transforms. And we have an assurance of Jesus as Saviour an ultimate destiny with him and here's the thing he wants to include you in his plans going forward how many of you are glad about that why don't you stand we're going to pray if you would if you're up for it just put your hands out and just in these final moments of our time together just offer your thanks we've been doing it already but not a bad thing to do it again offer your thanks to the saviour of the world with all that genealogy with all that history pointing us to the fact that 
He is the God who is open to all to receive from Him His love and His kindness, His mercy and His grace. Just thank Him in your own words for a moment. Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness. Jesus. Lord Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Father, across this room now, I just pray that there would be a deepening sense over this Christmas time of your presence with us, Emmanuel. The reassurance in hearts and lives across this room that we are children of the living God. And whatever our background, whatever our backstory, your purposes are still yes and amen. Your promises are still yes and amen over our lives. And Lord, I want to take off any weight of guilt and pressure that's in this place today, pressure to perform in a certain way. I want to take that off. I want to speak life and freedom across this room in Jesus' name. That every person here will know what it is to be a child of God. Sin totally forgiven and forgotten in Jesus' name. I said forgiven and forgotten in Jesus' name. Lord, and I pray every person will walk out of here with that sense of freedom and that sense of optimism and hope in Jesus Christ for the days that lie ahead in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.